Welcome once again to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. This is the show where I talk to developers who are also business owners, and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you're a developer and you want to get into business, or if you're already in business and you want to get some more tips and tricks, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 20 with Michaela Grayler. One quick announcement before we get started today. I've just embarked on a new project with my friend and collaborator Otto Kukic to build a platform to make it easier for event speakers to find and apply to tech events. We're calling it speak.dev and you can find information about it at the web address speak.dev. So what's the deal with this project? Well, one thing that I love doing in the tech industry is to speak at different events. So whether that's conferences or meetups, I love to travel, get on stage, and ultimately meet and connect with new people in the industry. But finding events to apply to hasn't always been the easiest. I speak at about a dozen events per year, and I often find myself scouring about five or six different resources to get info on events. Then I need to make sure I apply to them before the deadline. I need to make sure that I don't double book myself. And this has always been kind of a pain and is something about the process that I haven't enjoyed a whole lot. It turns out that Otto has had the same pain when it comes to applying to conferences and meetups as well. Otto is a seasoned event speaker and he actually does that for his job. He works in developer relations. So he's going to conferences and meetups all the time and he has to go through the exact same stuff, except for him, it is a lot worse because he's doing a lot more of it. He and I have talked to a lot of people in the industry who have the same kind of pain. And so that's why we decided to do something about it. And that's why we are building speak.dev. The ultimate goal is to help event speakers find and manage their events better and just generally make it easier and more enjoyable for them to do more speaking. Now, the cool part about this project is that we're doing pretty much everything out in the open. So that means we're live streaming almost everything we do from planning and organizing to actually writing the code and everything in between. So if you'd like to follow along with us and you'd like to get notified about when we go live, head over to speak.dev and sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is speak.dev, so all spelled out, D-O-T, dev. And we've also got the same handle on Twitch, which is where we'll be live streaming. We'd love it if you followed along with us and we hope to see you there. My guest today is Michaela Grayler. Dr. Michaela helps software teams build high quality software in an efficient and effective way. Her mission is to lead teams to unlock their full potential in company workshops and during team coaching sessions. She specializes in teaching effective code review techniques. Michaela, welcome to the show. Hi, hi, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about all that you're doing with uh, workshops, uh, coaching teams, etc. I'm wondering though, if maybe we could start with you uh, just touching on your doctorate. You've got, you've got the doctor in front of your name. Um, what did you do for your education? And, uh, and then maybe also talk to us about uh, what your thoughts are on higher education these days. Uh, we're hearing oh, a lot that maybe okay. it's, not, it's not, so, <laughs> not so worth it in some cases to go to university these days, some people think it is still some people think it's not but uh what's your education and what are your thoughts on the current state of education i guess okay so well i have a bachelor's degree in computer science i have a master degree in computer science and i have a phd in software engineering right um so 
uh, there wasn't a lot of variety in it. <laughs> I think I knew what I, what I like to do. Um, my thoughts, well, I studied at the time. So when I think about my bachelor's, I studied at a time, I'm that old, that, you know, the internet was already a thing. Yes, we had right. the internet, but not every household had the internet connection and it okay. was also expensive, you know. And so um, also the information wasn't uh, as available as it today, right? So it's complete different landscape, I think. So you had to go, you know, to a library and then there were, let's say in the university libraries, there were hundreds of books, but you know, not thousands or millions, right? Uh, the internet was there mainly to chat with people or date, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> but you wouldn't be able to find something about, you know, uh, your classes, for example, the exercises that you had to do, like uh, compiler construction, right? right. Um, I wouldn't really find something on the internet about that. So I would get, go and um, either uh, get a book, right? <laughs> or you you get to class, right? So I think um, it was the most accessible way. I also have to say that I went to university in a country where the university was almost free, it wasn't completely, right? So you had to pay some tuition, but it's a small amount. I think around that time it was like 500 euros per semester. So okay. around 1000 euros uh, per year. And right. I have to be honest, at that time I struggled <laughs> with that amount, right? It, it's not something that you easily pull up, uh, but it's not comparable with what's happening in the US, right? Yeah. And the same for my PhD. Um, I did that in the Netherlands. And so you're actually paid for doing your PhD. So you're not oh, only you're actually a researcher, right? So um, you have much more. It also means that it's not as free spirit as uh, maybe at the US universities, right? So you're an employee, you have your duties, you have to perform your research for the companies or for example, my PhD was in collaboration with the company. So you have to go there and work for them a little bit, right? But it also means that your PhD is funded. There isn't, you know, you don't have to be worried about it. It's not that you're getting rich by that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, well, probably by the time that I did my PhD, I could have, you know, not done it. But I think also information is something that you can't get online again, right? Yeah. So I think there are different informations. Right now, if I would go back, yeah, I don't know if I would do a bachelor's right. or a master's. Okay. Yeah, I'm always curious yeah. about that because it's. Uh, you know, I did. I did a bachelor's degree myself, and I, mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of reasons why it was a useful uh, thing to do. Uh, it was a useful, um, you know, endeavor. But uh, I'm always interested by the the you know the the I guess the opinions you see these days about well you you shouldn't um, spend your time getting a degree you can learn to code more easily maybe self-taught or through a boot camp and then you can be on your way um, I did a degree that was in something else entirely I did like geography stuff and mapping and spatial analysis um, and uh, then I kind of was self I self-taught um, how to be a programmer after the fact um, but I still think it was it was useful because I think in university you you learn you don't you're not just learning um facts and figures and uh things like that you're you're learning how to think in a lot of ways right so i often think i wonder if i would have even been able to be a self-taught programmer had it not been for me spending time at university right because mm -hmm. at least i found you're kind of taught how to you know how 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 to learn in a lot of ways um curious if you had that experience as well well 
I would say I really enjoyed my bachelor's and my master's. Mm -hmm. And I think I learned very, very many, you know, a lot of very. So my education and my understanding of computers and, you know, how systems interact with each other, I think is very, very deep, which I'm very grateful. Um, yeah. So I would say it was a very useful experience. Um, and also the time, you know, that you're in the class, that you're thinking, as you said, you're actually, you know, you're, you can learn. You know, there are mentors. Somehow the professors are also mentors, right? So right. they are role models. They have some way of thinking. And I think that's completely different than if I'm, you know, scrolling on a website and I'm just, totally. you know, um, doing an exercise in, in coding, right? So it depends on what's, what's your goal, what's your, you know, what are you aiming at? I think you can... Yeah. You can get, uh, you can become a really good coder just by, you know, following some of the courses online and things like that. I think it was harder uh, back then, mm. but actually, um, that wasn't my, my end goal um, yeah. before, and it, it it's not now. So, I definitely don't think it it wasn't. I, I think it was very useful. I don't Absolutely. think it was a wasted time. I'm just saying that. If I would go back now with the internet, there are so many different possibilities, yeah. right? So yeah. uh, apart from, you know, would I be a software engineer self-taught or not? But there are so many other things. Like it, it's amazing how you can connect with other people. It's mm -hmm. amazing how you can explore business opportunities, right? I'm really, really inspired by, you know, what's going on online for founders, you know, and in groups and communities that you can learn from each other. and so, yeah, because I'm so inspired by that, you know, if I would go back, I don't know what I would do. Maybe I would be inspired back then, right? Perhaps, and yeah. I would skip, yeah, university. I don't know. Maybe a complete different path. It, it was just not an option. It's pretty that Yeah, way. yeah, that's true. We're in this uh, this new era, this new interesting time of like possibilities being very different than they used to be. Um, it's amazing, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a neat time. Um, and yeah. speaking of that, you you've done some you've been doing some really cool things. Uh, you, I'd love to talk to you about uh, going from full time employee. As I understand it, you had your your dream job at uh, Microsoft, and you went from mm -hmm. that full time employee uh, at Microsoft to now being self employed. Um, tell us about that that process, and and maybe like what some of the challenges were, some of the decisions you were thinking about at the time, um, and maybe was was it a challenge thing to do to make that jump over to full-time uh, full-time self-employed it definitely was um, and it's mainly based you know the challenges are mainly based about mindset you know fears mm. also will I be able to do that right am I am I the right person to do that and um, probably the same thing as with university for a long time i thought that's how life should be right so you're going to university you're studying you're getting a good degree and then you work for one of the large corporations you know and and on really interesting problems and you know how they try to sell you also oh you know um then you're making software for millions of people and you have such an impact and things like that right and um, while i was on that path i somehow I somehow became interested in different things, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when I became a mother, a parent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly my whole priorities shifted as well. I was yeah. I was already questioning it back then, to be honest. But at that point, suddenly the priorities were completely different. And I yeah. thought, well, do I really have to, you know, 
have so many sacrifices just because I'm a very passionate person, right? So can I can I follow my dream and can I do what I'm really passionate about without these restrictive settings? Restrictive mm -hmm. setting, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, so that was on my mind. And over the time, I think I even before the kids, like I, I can I remember my birthday. I think it was 2014 already. And um, and then my husband uh, brought me so many books about entrepreneurship because I was oh, wow. so, you know, I was really thinking, oh, I, I should do that, right? I should yeah. become an entrepreneur. I should do my own thing, right? And be full in charge and sure. work on my ideas. And just then as a quick aside, those, yeah? sorry, just a quick aside, or do you remember any of the titles? Uh, maybe we can put them in the show notes uh, of those books. Oh yeah, let me see it. They are actually uh, behind me. Oh, there are so many different ones. There is Gear Up. <laughs> Um, yup, yup, right yep, yep. hook, yeah. Then oh, they are all mixed up here. Cool, that's uh, a that's the a, lead, that's a good... the lead startup, obviously, right? That's right, the lead startup. An important one, yeah. So uh, yeah, gifted you many yeah. uh, running many lean as well. Yeah, running, running lean. lean as well. Yeah. So that's there were several others. So I was really like, oh my god, there are like ten books now. So I really have to pursue it. And then um, yeah, then parenthood came. So <laughs> I had to uh, yeah. postpone that a little bit because I don't think it wasn't the right time for me to really start something uh, in gotcha. the really early days um, of of the kids. Um, yeah, but uh, but then especially with my second one. I wanted to really have a more independent lifestyle, you know, mm. be really in charge what I do and really follow my passion even more. Right. So I thought Microsoft was this dream job for me because I was working on very interesting problems with mm -hmm. very, very cool people. And so I was actually working on my, in Microsoft research at the time with, with research a lot. And then we were shifted over to research and development. And then we were in Visual Studio. So our team also had this progress. And, but you know, you're not 100% in charge what you're doing, right? Yeah. So, uh, and there are many compromises that I didn't, I just didn't want to take anymore, I think. So yeah. this gotcha. is how, and then it took me, I think a year to really let go. So okay. it's not one day to the other, right? So um, a year after you'd gone out on your own to feel at peace about it or? Um... Um, no, um, so I was actually on parental leave for oh, okay, quite gotcha. some time and I used the parental leave to um, start off my own thing. Oh, okay. yep. And so during the parental leave, I um, built up my mindset also to be an entrepreneur, right? To nice. um, think about, you know, what, what can I do different and do yeah. I was struggling a little bit because I was a very good employee, right? So I, right. I knew how to be a good employee, but I never felt at that point competent enough to be a business owner, right? To mm. go out on my own and make money. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'd love to chat on that. That's a, that's a theme that I've seen around that I think comes up a lot is uh, mindset, uh, especially mm -hmm. as it pertains to starting your own thing, being your own boss. Um, what are some of the mindset shifts that you had to make uh, that got you to that place where you felt more confident about uh, being self-employed? Do you remember any of the specific sort of uh, before yeah. and after kind of scenarios? Yeah, very vividly, actually. Um, so at the beginning, I always felt like, oh, I'm just playing being a founder, right? So okay. <laughs> it felt like this is not serious, right? This is just, you know, me 
being childish and, and things like that, which was very strange and I couldn't really get rid of that feeling. Um, I think also because I didn't exactly know what I'm gonna do, right? Mm. So there was also this hunger, I think, because if you look at my, my, my path, so there wasn't a lot of variety in that. And suddenly I felt, well, maybe even during my day job, I think we are sometimes screaming like, oh, maybe you should have a vineyard, right? <laughs> or, you know, a, a bed and breakfast. But I think these are, these are not real things that you want to pursue. It's just showing that somehow your life has become too one-sided, right? It is okay. just, and, and so I think in that year also, I explored different things. And I took the time to say, well, I do, I'm not that serious right now. I'm just playing, I'm exploring, I'm, you know, looking around. And um, so I started a few things. I actually um, thought, well, let's see how it is, you know, to, to build up your business. And I think I particularly, I used an idea that I'm not super invested in, which sounds counterintuitive. Why shouldn't you start with something that you're super mm. invested? But I wanted to have this freedom to explore and to see and mm. if I'm failing, right, it doesn't feel so bad because it was never serious to begin with, right. right? So that somehow gave me a little bit of space to think. And so this was, I think, the first four months of my okay. of my entrepreneurial journey. I was building a marketplace for okay. sustainable and regional products. Okay. Um, yeah, it was actually cool. cool. It's still running. Yeah, still, it's still running. running. What's that? Uh, yes. What's that um, web address? Yeah, it's a it's a German web address, so it's okay. zweimal Freude. Um, okay, you, may, you might have to party. might have to send that to me in that. Yeah, I think the, I have to. Email. Yeah, <laughs> my German is not not so good. So yeah, um, so it's it's regional, so it's really about Austria. So it was uh, somehow niche, right? So I tried to to work on these ideas of you know going niche down and you know finding the thing, but very quickly you know within two months i knew that that's not me right so oh, okay. people were actually people were really interested in that i got newspaper articles wow. uh, and, and things like that yeah so it was also flattering then and because of that i wasn't ready to let it go even though i started with with like oh i just do that like two months and then i let it yeah. go right because people then started inquiring and then you know the, the major actually uh, called me and i have to go to his office and i was like wow, wow. that's you know interesting that's and big. so then I didn't want to let it go. I was like, okay, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm passing on an opportunity here. So I dragged it out another two months. And then I said, well, people like it, but I don't. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. I let that go. You, yeah. You were, even though it was doing well, it was growing, it, people mm -hmm. were using it. You just were not invested in it. It sounds like, right. You, you didn't have, yeah. you didn't have a, uh, maybe, the interest or passion for it yeah the interest you, right the interest, yeah, yeah exactly so i would have also i i used obviously uh, content marketing so i had to write yeah. blog posts and i was really not invested and also i was very critical about especially sustainability right, right? I'm, I'm very so on one hand i'm really invested in sustainability but not in this commercial way but somehow oh, okay. if you build a business around it you have to be more cruel i don't know if cruel okay. you know yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then I was thinking about, you know, people were asking me to be, you know, part of the marketplace, and I had to evaluate them, and then I had to say, no, you can't, because I wasn't happy with the sustainability credentials of them. Right. 
But from a personal side, I was like, obviously, I want you to be on my side. You know, it's like, yes, you should be on my yeah. side, right? Yeah. And so I really felt torn apart, and I felt like, no, no this is this isn't for me, right? So right. I don't want to make a business out of that, right? So, yeah. yeah. That's interesting because there are, you know, I see conflicting advice uh, from time to time where on one hand, you've got people who say, build something uh, that you are already invested in, already interested in. That's going to be the way that you kind of see it through when things get tough or it gets boring uh, in some ways. That's when you're going to be able to, to see it through. And then other advice says that there's a whole bunch of problems out there that maybe you're not particularly interested in them, but they are lu potentially lucrative problems to go and solve and provide a, a product around. Um, but it sounds to me like the the kind of approach that you take is you've got to be interested in the thing that you're doing to to see it through. Um, do you think one of those two ways is better than the other? I mean, maybe you, you might say that it's uh, it's better to be interested in something. But do you think it's I guess if there if there are folks listening who have some ideas for products for things that eh, maybe they're not particularly interested in them, is it still worthwhile to see those out a little bit or or what do you think about that? I really think it comes down to your personality and mm -hmm. your life goals. Right. So my life goal is to never work a single day. That's okay. what I want to do. Yeah. And to be honest, even though I worked a lot, I a lot of my times I felt like that. Right. Because yeah. I was so invested in what I was working on. Yeah. I didn't feel like work. And I also right. worked like uh, during my internship. I was at one company and I worked and this was really work. It was like dreadful to go in. And I think it can be really easily very dreadful for me. Yeah. I'm very sensitive to to you know what what I have to endure, um, but on the other hand, I can be super invested, right? So yeah. um, during my time at Microsoft Research, I was super invested and didn't feel like work, even though I put in a lot of hours, right? But it's it, I I don't see it as life and work. Hmm. It's all my life, right? Every yeah. minute that's passing is my life, and I have to decide whether or not I want to pursue it that way. Right. But that's really a, a, I think it's first of all a person personality trade. Yeah. You know, how, how how are you with that? I'm really bad at boring tasks. They're horrible for me. You know, if I don't have anything to do, I, I die. It's right. really bad. That's that's the same when I'm sick, I can't just lie in my bed. It's just yeah. not my personality, right? Um, and then I think there are people that are maybe happy with that, right? That, that they don't, they are maybe really good in, you know, detaching them. I'm really bad in that. And maybe that's something that I work on to say, you know, now is a different time and you don't have to do anything right now, which is very, very hard for me. But I think it's also very important that you do that. Mm -hmm. And maybe for them, the other way is the better way, right? But I think mm -hmm. for me, there's only one way and that is to find a business that's, obviously there has to be a market for it, right? There has to be yep. a need. Um, so you cannot go just out on whatever interests you. You have to think about how to package that, that you're actually reaching your customers. But on the other hand, I have to be invested in. And my approach over the last year was really to understand that, understand mm -hmm. where are my strengths, what can I provide to people that you know differentiates me from others. Um, mm -hmm. And I think especially code reviews and the expertise that I have uh, in that and empirical software engineering, I think that's something that's very different from everybody else, right? Or totally. from a lot yeah. of people, right? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it really deeply interests me. And so I think also what's interesting here is that I think many people are 
generalists, right? Mm -hmm. And I also have a lot of interests. I love doing a lot of different things, sports and this and that. And then you have to pick your thing. Yeah. But you could actually do a lot, right? So I could do um, qualitative and quantitative studies for uh, different companies, right? I could, mm -hmm. I could be a programmer. I could be a freelancer, just writing software systems. I could, you know, get a job. And so you have to decide what are you actually doing right mm -hmm. now. And mm -hmm. I think you really have to decide. And I, it, it's also okay if you take your time. It took me a few months, right, to yeah. really, also to to be okay that I'm actually doing that. And then if you realize, like say, code reviews, right? It felt at the beginning, it felt a little bit restrictive because at mm. Microsoft, I didn't do code reviews. I did code reviews and I did build, right? So I was, for example, improving build graphs for the different teams so that the build was uh, performing faster. Mm. I was doing simulations. I was working in testing. Um, so I had this variety on one right. hand. And now I say, well, I'm doing code reviews, right? So if you come to me, um, then you are faced with the expert of code reviews. Yeah. And when you're not really in the topic, it feels like, okay, how much can there be? You know, how much information can there be? Okay, I did several studies on that already. Um, is there more? And actually, there's so much more. Every day I can learn something about code reviews, right? And sure, everything yeah. that's connected to that. And I think if you start really investing in that, then you are, you have a competitive advantage. Right. And, yeah. and so that's the approach that I took right now. That's really cool. Um, that's something that maybe we could dive in on actually is because uh, I think, you know, it's certainly my case as well. I've got many interests, many potential things I could go do that would, would interest me. Um, mm -hmm. And realizing more and more that it's important to specialize and hone in on, uh, you know, just one or two things. Um, probably a lot of folks out there who have the same kind of uh, situation. Any any further advice that you would have in terms of like how to figure out what it is that you want to focus on? Um, do you pick one from a hat? Do you, uh, do you have any kind of techniques that you've used to try to filter uh, through what you might want to focus on? Uh, anything on that? Yeah, so I think, so first of all, I really think that at the beginning when I had this playful phase, that was very beneficial because mm. it meant that I could start something and I start really crazy things. I don't want to talk about all of them because yeah. <laughs> they are so crazy, right? Um, but I wanted to do that at least once in my life. Yeah. And then, you know, you're doing it and you think, well, I did that, right? And now, does it have to become a business? No, actually not. I'm okay right. with you know, putting it aside and say, well, let's say uh, you're making a, a, a book for, for children, right? I yeah. really want to do that. But right. you know, if I have done one, I'm actually satisfied. I'm like, okay, I did that. I don't right. have to become you know, a, a children's book author right. um, and, and similar things. So I, I explored a lot of things and I think it's okay. People are so rushed nowadays, right? Mm. We, are, we are thinking, you know, from one day to the other, we have to figure out everything. And I also felt like, oh my God, my time, you know, I'm two months in and I haven't figured out what I'm gonna do. But then I really tried to um, say, it's okay. You know, right. it's really okay because there is a lot, maybe you will also change over there, right? But um, right now is the time to explore. And then what I also did, I looked at the things that I naturally gravitate towards, right? So what did I do in the past? Well, I did code reviews, right? At Microsoft, uh, many of the studies that I did were around code reviews. Why? Because it's a super fascinating socio-technical uh, area, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's not only the technical aspect, it's also the people aspect and everything. 
So this is what fascinated me so much about it. Right. And and so I also with that one, I just explored a little bit. I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to do the first thing I'm going to do, I write and make visible everything that I did. Because when mm. you're working for a corporation, most of the time, so I wasn't really good in um, letting the outside world know what I do inside, right? Mm -hmm. um, why would you do that? It, I focused everything on my work inside, right? So every hour, every minute, I was thinking about how can I help teams at Microsoft, but I wasn't really thinking about, oh, later, you know, will people know that I did that? And so the first thing that I did, I was just writing about my experience. Mm -hmm. So what did I do there at Microsoft? And I was, with that, I was also refreshing a little bit, you know, and I felt that each blog post that I wrote about it, I felt like, oh, there are five more mm. that I can write about it. And if you um, think about the other startup that I had, I was writing one blog post and it was horrible to write. I was like, oh my God, I cannot write this. And I don't want to, I don't want to write another blog post about sustainable whatever, right? Because yeah. there are so many conflicting information and I, I was just not invested. So every blog post felt really hard for that one. And every blog post about code reviews is, there are five more that I would love to write, right? Mm -hmm. So my advice would be to really think what, what are some of the things that you're naturally gravitating towards? What are mm -hmm. some of the things that you really enjoy? And then with that mindset, because just writing blog posts about code reviews, right? Doesn't, it's not a business, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, then you have to think about what could be your market um, in that area, right? How could you shape that? What's your vision? Yeah, right. so I, I would start like that. That's really interesting. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it reminds me. Um, so, as a relatively newer parent, my my wife and I have a two and a half year old, and we just had a baby uh, the day after Christmas. Uh, oh so wow! Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we uh, we're very excited, and we we are always mindful of like um, <clears throat> excuse me what the what the important things are for development for um, for a child, and and one thing that we always hear about is uh, unstructured free play, right? Um, mm -hmm. Allowing the kid to just be able to go and play with things and use their imagination to you know do whatever and it sounds like it's that's probably useful a useful concept when it comes to discovering the kind of business you might want to eventually get into is just like time to bounce ideas around to actually like put some action forward take a few steps here take a few steps there and see see what you like see what works and in that way kind of have some like almost unstructured free play um, in and around something that could be a business right yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And actually, because you said um, parenthood, right? So I think a lot of ideas and a lot of, you know, mindset mindset change came with me becoming a parent, right? Because I thought, okay. like, what do I want, to, you know, which values do I want to teach my kids, right? They are now mm -hmm. two and four. And um, so over the last four years, I really had to think, is it, you know, a value? Do I want them to, you know, how do I want to see them? how do I want them to see the world? Mm -hmm. And by thinking about that, it obviously let me reflect on my worldview as well, right? So I yeah. think parenthood is really powerful. Uh, truth maker, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely is, I agree. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, you mentioned this uh, about the FIRE movement. What is the FIRE movement and uh, what's your, um, What's your take on it, I suppose? I, I, I may have heard about this in passing, but I'm, I'm not too kind of up to date on, on what it's all about. Okay. So actually, the 
my husband was really about that. So he began reading about books like that. And FIRE stands for financial, Financially Independent Retire Early. Right? Okay. So these are people that are trying to build up a <laughs> stack of money yep. right, to be able to live independently. This doesn't mean that you have, you know, become a millionaire like you, you're super rich, but it means that you're able to save enough that you can comfortably live without being dependent on the employer, right? right. And I really like that idea. And um, so when he, were telling, when he was telling me about that, for me, it was uh, way too extreme, right? Hmm. So I was like, okay, those people are, many of those are working, you know, crazy hours and, you know, putting everything aside, which is great, but I'm already past that because when we were thinking about that, we had already kids. So for me, it felt like, well, for, for us, it's not the time. It's not the time right now. It's not my time to, you know, um, work crazy hours uh, around yeah. the clock. And and also what you, what you normally do, you're cutting down on your expenses, right? Mm -hmm. So you would live in a shitty apartment. And I did all of that, but I wasn't earning enough as a PhD to <laughs> have this uh, fire movement. But um, so I had already that. And I was like, no, now that I have family, I don't want to you know, live in a sh shitty apartment, like, I don't know, mm -hmm. 50 square meter or something. And uh, <laughs> we are all scrambled together. Um, this time has passed. I'm not ready for that. But on the other hand, I always have been frugal. And I never, you know, spending something on whatever dresses or cars isn't something I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually saved already during my PhD. Uh, I don't know how I, I managed to do that. But um, I like the ideas and I like more and more, you know, I, I was thinking again, evaluating our situation, right? So we were at that point, we were living um, in Germany, in mm -hmm. Munich actually, and it was really high rent there. Mm. And I was thinking, well, you know, if we want to buy something, we were thinking, okay, we should maybe buy something because we are having, we have been renting for a long period, which was totally fine because I lived all over the place, right? I lived in Canada, in the US, in the Netherlands, in Germany, okay. and so on. So that's why I never wanted to buy because I wanted this freedom. But suddenly I felt like, well, I feel like now with the family, maybe we have somewhere some you know something to go and say that's where we actually belong and then doing that in munich would mean that i'm definitely me and my husband we both definitely have to work mm. until we're really old people <laughs> like and, and there is no slack there is no slack if you want to yeah. have a nice house there this means that i have to have a high paying job he has to have a high paying job then we get a lot of that <laughs> yep. and we are the slaves that that's mm. how it felt for me right i'm if somebody does that choice for them and they're happy, go for it, right? But for yeah. me, it was like, I'm not going to be enslaved here, right? Slavery sure, is yeah. uh, something that I really don't want to. And even the stress, you know, let's say, for example, I already, by, by that time, I was like, maybe I should, you know, start my own business. But what mm -hmm. does it mean to start your own business? Well, you're taking risks. You're probably not financially as secure as working for a large corporation, right? Um, maybe you want to spend the time with your kids. Maybe you're getting sick, whatever, right? So uh, I wasn't prepared and also my husband wasn't prepared to take on that. That So we thought, well, what could we do, right? And so mm -hmm. we actually moved countries okay. and um, we're now living in Austria in 
you know, it's, it's, it's a city, mm-hmm. but it's much more affordable. And you mm-hmm. get, you know, you get a nice house with a the garden there for the same price as, you know, a small flat in Munich. Right. And, you know, I don't need a car. I have my bike. Mm-hmm. I can go to the city center by foot and all of that. So um, I think it really comes down to what do you value in your life, right? I always mm-hmm. valued nature, for example. So when I was, for example, living in Redmond, one of the greatest things there was the nature. And yeah. um, and then on the other hand, it's also really close to Seattle. So you have like the, mm-hmm. the city life and you have the nature. So this was really, really nice. But in Munich, it was more, even though there's a lot of nature around, but if you're in the city, you're in the city. And if you're outside, you have to commute a lot, right? And it's super expensive. And so, yeah, so we actually moved here and now we are buying a house, um, but a house that we are comfortable, you know, taking on. We know that we can um, pay back the death with yeah. one job. Yep. And if the other is working, which we are actually doing, we are both working. This is mm-hmm. what we are building up for, for our savings, right? We are also looking at how can we save, um, but it's not as extreme, right? So we are not living in shitty places, you know, or eating beans every day, which <laughs> some of the financial, you know, independent people are doing, which is okay. totally fine. I mean, yeah. if probably if I wouldn't be a mother to two kids now, right, I would eat beans and yeah. <laughs> be in a shitty apartment for a few years and then say, that's it, right? But it also means that I'm very... I want to be present in the moment. Yeah. So you never know how many years you have left, right? right? So it could be over in two years. It could be over tomorrow, mm. right? It could be over in 10 yeah. years. So even if I would uh, eat beans, I would only do that because I, I'm okay with eating beans, right? Mm. So um, I'm okay with, with the shitty apartment. I was always okay with that before the kids, right? But now mm. I feel like there's a garden that I that I would like to have. And so... I'm totally in line with the with the with the fire idea, you know, saving and then uh, getting your freedom for that, mm-hmm. but in a more in a in a more reflective way on how are you spending your time today, right? Mm. So, um, again, what what are your life choices? What's really important to you? What are your values, right? Mm-hmm. If you value a car, probably you should get a car. I think. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't like me, I I value to go by bike to the yep. city center, but this also means that um, I cannot buy a house outside in some rural areas mm. where I cannot bike, right? So, um, yeah, so I think most of it really comes down, be it entrepreneurship or is it fire? What are your values? What do you yeah. really, what's important to you in life? Well, it's, and it seems to make so much sense too, because the more you can make your life maybe a little bit more lean in the fashions that you've described, the more freedom you've got to explore different business things, I think, yes. right? Yeah. You know, you're not you're not sort of betting the farm and, and hoping that it's going to work out so that you can pay for your house or your car or whatever. Um, yeah. You've got you've got freedom to explore different things, to try things and not worry, not be stressed if they just fall flat. Um, so a useful, I, I think a useful movement for, um, you, know, you know, probably well-being as a whole, but also just the, the opportunity and the freedom to explore different uh, business stuff. Um, so that's really cool. Is there anywhere in particular people should check out if they're interested in the FIRE movement? Well, there's um, a blog and a person called Money Mustache. Um, okay. So 
Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, it's a guy, he's already retired, right? And he lives with his kids and he spends most of his time with his kid, right? And mm -hmm. um, he has his blog and there's some, you know, small opportunities around it. So my, I don't want to retire. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is not, right. I want the freedom, right? And I think yeah, most of absolutely. the people are exactly like before that, right? They, they just want the freedom to do um, what they follow their heart, right? So absolutely. That is great. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think you know that might be a good uh, point to to start wrapping up on. Is there um, is there anything you'd like to say maybe about uh, before we go about about workshops and in, in particular the workshops that you give um, the kind of how you approach it, how you market your workshops, what you do to get people interested in them. Maybe let's end, end on uh, your strategy for workshops. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. So um, this is something that outside of Microsoft is uh, relatively new. Mm -hmm. And then also during my time at Microsoft, I read, I already consulted with yeah, several companies, but it, you know, so it, I could tip in my, my toe a little bit to understand how the whole thing works. Right now, um, I mostly work with inbound clients. So people are, you know, writing to me. It's mostly my network that know that I'm offering that or, you know, that the person says to another person, you know, um, Michaela could be helpful here. And so this is how most of my workshops have been, um, yeah, came, came to life, right? So that people reached out. I want to be more aggressive 2020 with really, you know, letting people know that I do that, right? Because mm -hmm. before it wasn't, it wasn't really officially advertising it. So mm -hmm. um, I mainly think going to some conferences, you know, really providing value around that uh, topic, showing that you are very knowledgeable about that, right? And then differentiating you from, you know, somebody that's just talking about code reviews, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I think if people really understand that you have the expertise there, mm -hmm. and they, they become interested and I will also reach out to to companies. I haven't done that uh, before, mm -hmm. so let's see how that goes. I can't say if that will be, you know, how it how it goes, but at mm -hmm. some time it will go. So um, I will reach out to some of the corporations that I worked with, that I people that I have uh, connections with, right? So it's mm -hmm. not completely cold cold emailing or cold For calling sure. something like that. And and let's see how that how that works. Yeah. Absolutely. That sounds great. Um, well, where can people check out your workshop offering and get in on the workshop if they would like to? Yeah, um, you can go to my website. It's michaelagreiler.com. Um, you probably have to put a link there because people don't we'll know put that in how there. to spell that. It's <laughs> one of the hard choices you have to do. Should yeah. you change your whole internet <laughs> appearance, you know, to be more internationally pronounceable. Um, right, but right. yeah. <laughs> So that's my domain. And on there is everything that I blog about uh, code reviews. I think that's interesting for, for a lot of folks, um, mm -hmm. independent of you know booking workshops or consulting is what I know about uh, code reviews and also other software engineering topics. I also run a newsletter where I have, you know, once a week, I'm sharing some information about software engineering related topics. And there is also the workshop offering um, mm -hmm. And maybe finally, if I can block that here, I also Absolutely. have a podcast. Yeah. Great. Okay. And um, it's called Software Engineering Unlocked. Okay. And um, I'm talking with different developers about, you know, what their job entails, what their software engineering practices are at their company, and what's their company culture. So okay. that's Excellent. the SE 
www.speed-unlocked.com is the website for that. Speed-unlocked. Okay, we'll link that up yeah. in the show notes as Very well. Very cool, yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Michaela. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, Wonderful. it's been a blast uh, chatting with you. Um, I guess finally, where people can find you, I guess, on Twitter. What's your handle? Oh, yeah. Um, M. Greiler. It's okay. M G R E I L E. Okay. We'll link that up as well. Um, yeah, I, I wish you all the best in 2020 with your workshops. And thank you so yeah, much for sharing for your you. experience. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks thanks yeah. for sharing your experience. And I'm sure uh, folks will be able to take a lot of the uh, kind of the experiences that you had and maybe map them to their own story. So I definitely really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, once again, thanks very much. And we'll chat with you soon. Yeah, it was really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you once again so much for tuning into the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. This has been episode 20 with Michaela Grayler. You can find links to all the resources that Michaela mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you would like to subscribe and maybe leave a rating, that would be awesome as well. You can find subscription links at ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, happy hacking. Thank you.